Welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George. Deacon Adam Conk in studio. Thanks for tuning in today. What's going on, man? It's great to see you. Great to see you. How's life? I missed you last week. Yeah, you were off doing some kind of life-changing ministry somewhere or something. Yeah. How'd yeah. that go? I don't know if it was life-changing, but uh, uh, yeah, I was out of town leading a retreat, but it, w- it was good. I think it was kind of providential that uh, we skipped last week because this week... It's a big week. Oh, yeah? It's the first week of May. You're right. So it's the month of Mary. Welcome to May. So if you're Catholic, it's the the Marian moth. Like, this is a big deal. That's true. And it's Cinco de Mayo. Today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's... As we record it. Yeah. As we record. And so all that being said, we're recording show 200. That's a big deal. So... Episode 200. All dedicated to Mary and tacos. Yes, We've surpassed many American institutions in episode number. Things like Seinfeld, mm. um, you know, other shows that I can't think of right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> Did not have as many episodes. It is interesting. As we have, however, so you know, in my particular devotion to Our Lady mm-hmm. is Our Lady Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is obviously Guadalupe, Mexico, right? Okay, Cinco de Mayo, Mexico, Our Lady of Guadalupe. So you're feeling that show Mexican Show 200, yeah. it's all connected. Month of May, Marian Month. You see it? You yeah, see it's where a big I'm going moment. with this? You're right. You see Man, you know, how to, you know how to fire up a crowd. I mean. I'm fired up. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks everyone for listening in, whether you're on the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or on the radio here in Acadiana, KLFT. Uh, great to be with you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And yeah, I just got back from the Hill Country of Texas, led a men's retreat out there. The Hill Country. Hill Country, boys. <laughs> Driving through Bandera, Texas, the cowboy capital of Texas. Really? Yeah. That's a big claim to be the cowboy capital of Texas. I know. You drive through the town and you're like, yeah, it makes sense. You believe it. Yeah. Yeah, you believe it. That's great. Like all the architecture, everything's like, you know, Western. So facade, you know, like it, it's all it's all there. Nice. Or the roads like John Wayne Avenue. I don't know, but uh, like even like the True best Grit Western Parkway. hotel right on Main Street is like mm-hmm. built like a, a, a old saloon. Wow. Yeah. That sounds neat. Yeah, you would not fit in there unless <laughs> you got a cowboy hat and some boots. I'd have to shave my beard. No, keep the beard. Cowboys have beards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be fine. Just put a okay. cowboy hat on there. Or or maybe even just a, a ball cap. A ball cap. <laughs> ball cap. What teams are acceptable cowboys? Like, I guess the Texans? The Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys. And the, the Astros? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, probably, I, I guess any team in Texas, maybe. Okay. They probably fight over it. <laughs> I don't know. What if I wear, like, a, I don't know, Los Angeles... Uh, Dodgers hat to be like that boy city folk okay so you bring this up randomly you have no idea so mm-hmm. we go into Bandera you know on the retreat so we go in for for mass in town there's this little parish so we go to mass mm-hmm. and then we decide to go eat at like a little you know steakhouse little pub for lunch type thing you know so we walk in it's like you know it's like, <laughs> clink 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 you know we get a table 
And so, like, I'm, like, standing by the bar, and there's one guy just sitting by himself. And he's wearing a Buffalo Bills jersey, <laughs> which is from New York, yeah. upstate New York, like, almost to Canada. Like, he's yeah. far away from home. And I was like, dude, like, your jersey, like, you far from here? Like, like you live here? Like, what? He's like, well, I moved here, you know, trying to get away from, like, the north and the city and <laughs> – He's like, I've been having a hard time meeting friends that are around here. I was like, yeah, like you're wearing that jersey. Like no one's gonna gonna think that you blend in here, you know, yeah. at all. <laughs> That's funny. You know. So anyway, um, so anyway, it was, was kind of crazy. Yeah. Okay, uh, I have a have you seen actually. What did you say? That is so interesting. Are you for real, though? Yeah, so I'm for real. So it is the first week of May, and we just happen to be recording on Cinco de Mayo. That's right. Okay. And which is a big holiday. Big. Apparently. Yeah, it's, it's the Mexican independence holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But, you know, just like everything else, like Americans have taken over every holiday, That's anything right. to celebrate. Like St. Patrick's Day is huge here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we just took it over. It's like it's ours now. Yeah. You know. It's like bigger than in Ireland. Cinco de Mayo yeah. is, is kind of one of those things. Um, so, um, yeah. So, have you seen this? Uh, so, there's 10 states consume more tequila than any others on Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> I just thought that this was interesting. That they track this? That they track this. New York, Ohio, Georgia, Florida, Illinois, Colorado, Nevada, California, Arkansas, and of course Texas. We're not on the list. Louisiana is not on the list. That which surprises is, me. Which is surprising. So I would think any given day we would be on some list for tequila. Or any but here's alcohol. the thing: like I don't think tequila is the big thing here. That's true. Okay, which brings me to the fact that beer sales generate on Cinco de Mayo. Around six hundred and fifty-eight million dollars, just Man. on one day today. Wow! Yeah, it's a strong day. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's more the Louisiana area. Yeah, it's good that we have um, these celebrations, particularly in the Easter season. Like I, I kind of do the thing you were describing, where I take on all these celebrations as my own, just because it's Easter. And so, like today, I'm gonna have something with my wife. I'm gonna make her a margarita when I get home. Just to do something nice, you know? You're just like, it's Cinco de Mayo. I don't even know what it is. I'm just going to celebrate it. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're thinking, right? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, we, like we it's just, a reason to celebrate. Great. We just take on, which is interesting because in our culture, I, you know, I don't mind. I think it's funny. You know, when we talked a lot about like Christmas and Easter and like even culturally, like if you're not, not a Christian or a believer, you know, you just kind of take on a holiday. It's like, oh, it's Christmas. We don't even know or care. We just kind of have our own traditions and and whatnot. And all these things are really based out of you know Catholic and Christian tradition. These mm-hmm. these holidays, but you know, it is interesting that culturally we just seem to kind of like just go with and adapt to whatever's out there. You know. So it's like, oh, it's Cinco de Mayo. Oh, I'll celebrate it. I don't even know what it is. I don't even know what the meaning. St. Patrick's Day or this or that or this holiday, Mardi Gras. You know, we just kind of bounce around. And it's like um, the point I'm getting to is like in the Christian faith, it's like mm, th- there's there's certain like elements to like being consistent and not just like a- adapting to other things, you know. 
I meet with a lot of young adults and a lot of a lot of people, and I would say even adults, adults like uh, young adults are adults now. You know, I'm just getting older, but they're they're no longer young. Okay, so <laughs> and it's almost like they they claim to be, and they are Catholic and practicing, but they have a lot of behaviors that are very worldly, mm-hmm. like. And, it, and it's almost like a justification of like, I can do both. I can do both and it's fine. Yeah, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're getting at is this idea of <clears throat> the world kind of has this calendar, you know, like let's call it the social media calendar where this month has this meaning, this holiday has this meaning, and these are the things we all do on these days and these months. And and this this temptation, particularly for young Catholics, to keep up with this worldly calendar while at the same time keeping up with your liturgical calendar and trying to live both um in the sense of being a part of it all right that you're posting those cinco de mayo selfies that are obligatory you're also posting the ash wednesday posts that are obligatory and you're just kind of caught up in that that whirlwind like you said that kind of sometimes lacks meaning and substance but you're participating in in things yeah right I don't know. Like I, I'm, I don't want to come across as as very judgmental, okay? And and like looking down because I'm not. Like I know the struggle is real, and I know like we're all kind of, uh, you know, we have our our imperfections and our failures and whatever. Like I I, I totally get it. Like I, I I get it. I get it. I get it. And we've talked on this show before a little bit. Is like, okay, like if you were just like, say at a Mardi Gras parade or mm-hmm. a Cinco de Mayo party or whatever name it would you know the difference between a christian and a non-christian just by hanging out with people mm-hmm. like would you know a difference between a christian a catholic and a non just by the way someone behaves or or did, did we just blend in so much that it's just like oh yeah well you know i'm catholic and i'm just gonna you know get wasted on this holiday because i can and who cares and i'll go to confession or whatever i don't know like at what point is, do we begin to our our decisions and our behavior and and our virtues adapt to Christ more than they do the world. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, and I think particularly our popes have done a great job. I mean, obviously the pope is the bishop of Rome. That's the main gig, right? Like when you're pope, that's your main gig. And you're also the head of the entire church. You're the um the vicar of Christ on earth. But really, starting with Paul VI, the Pope began to do something they never did, which was they would travel all over the world regularly as almost like an expectation. I mean, Popes would travel for purposes before that, like, oh, to attend this council or this meeting that's happening somewhere to show its importance. But there began to be an expectation in the world and in the Church of the Pope traveling to different countries on these apostolic visits. What I'm getting at is what... what the popes have chosen to do, Pope, John, Pope Paul VI, Pope John Paul II, who really made that a staple, Pope Benedict XVI, and Pope Francis, is when they visit a place, they reveal themselves in light of Christ. I think of when John Paul II did this famously here in the U.S. in the 90s, where he gave this beautiful message of rediscovering what it means to be American, mm. and that Christ is part of that story, and that American Catholics have an important role to play in reclaiming what America is, like what freedom really is, what truth really is. Because we know Christ, 
it's our responsibility to remind America what it is. And I think that's a beautiful thing the church does in every country it is, in every culture, every people, is that the church, as the true mother of the world, knows who people are. The church knows who Mexico is. The church knows who America is, who Ireland is, all these people. The world doesn't know. You know, the world can't tell you who Mexico really is and who the Mexican people really are. Only Christ can because he tells us all who we are. And this has been a consistent theme of of the Holy Fathers for the past several decades. And I think, to your point, are we doing that in the way we now connect globally through the way we communicate, the social media things we participate in, um, how we speak to people, how we live our life? Are we as Catholics reminding people who they really are by connecting everything to Christ? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old and like like cranky and traditional. I don't know. Maybe... (laughs) I, I honestly think like in some ways, Adam, like I'm coming off of writing this book. I submitted mm-hmm. on May 2nd, it, it was due the the transcript, which is like the full book, right? In rough draft. And then it goes to the editor. You did it? Yeah. Wow, congrats. And and then they start, you know, hacking at it. Like it, they'll send it back mm-hmm. and it'll be shredded, right? And then mm-hmm. we'll go through the editing process. But like I finished that first phase of like, not a proposal, like the whole book. Okay? Right. And it's a long process. Like it, it's not something like if, if it was easy and look, there's a lot of things that are hard that I choose not to do. Okay. So a lot of people say, Hey, I want to write a book, but the reality is if it was easy, everyone would do it just like a lot of other things. I choose not to do hard things, but this is one hard thing I choose to do. Right. And then it's, um, it's one of those things where, uh, the book kind of impacted me. Mm-hmm. Not not the writing, not reading my writing, but like the saints that I spent time researching and praying about putting in the book mm-hmm. impacted me. Wow. Okay. So much so that like one of the things that I've really been pondering as of late, and I hate to sound really corny here, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna throw it out, is that like I desire to be like them. Like I want mm-hmm. And and then I realized how far off I am in being a saint. So like those two things hit me all at once. Like this desire to be a saint and the realization of how far off I am. Perfect. That's like the best place to be. Yeah. 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 Well, it's it, it's a it's it it's a rough, tough playing field right out mm-hmm. there. Okay. But w- what drives should drive my focus and decisions is that pursuit of sainthood, that pursuit of Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. And then anything that that goes outside of that lane, like I should really kind of like maybe not do. Yeah. And I think in every Catholic journey, there's that moment where you realize what the world needs most is saints. Those that are completely in love with the Lord, the way you just described. And a lot of times we rationalize worldliness as a means of staying connected with the world, you know, mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'll, I'll take on this habit that maybe the saints didn't do, but because I'm alive today in the world I live in now, it helps connect me to these people, whether it's tons of time on social media or whatever, fill in the blank, but I'll do these behaviors or, uh, have these habits because I, I feel like it keeps me connected to the world so I can evangelize them. So right. So I can wear the gospel. Those, those are good motivations. But what the world really needs the most is people that are, 100% in love with Jesus, 
the world doesn't need more worldly people. It needs more holy people. Right. Not perfect. Yeah. Look, I'm not perfect. I just, I'm just trying to, like, culturally, we're struggling in the church, and I think a Big lot time, of times yeah. it's 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 there there's there's not much of a deviation between someone who claims to be Catholic and someone who doesn't in their behavior, yeah, in the way they live. And I'm not talking about rules and regulations. I'm not talking about like the fight with the Pharisees and like, I'm not talking about being strict and, and being a rule follower. Like I'm talking about being a lover of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that drives your life Yep. and the direction that you go and the way that you treat and love people. And also the virtues that you attribute and the way that you, you know, consume technology and alcohol and all those vices and things that can become vices, I should say to moderate those. And like, I just don't know, there's not a lot of deviation in behavior and I'm not judging folks. I'm just saying like as a culture, like I think we're struggling there. hundred percent. I mean, what is the Catholic culture in our country? Like how do we point to it? You know, um, I think most of us can point to key communities that have been formative to us. You know, so I think of like my school community at, at JPG uh, here in Lafayette. I think of particular parishes or, or other ministries that I've been a part of over my lifetime. And I mean, that's what I can point to to say this was different, right? Like this was Catholic culture, but these are very small pockets. And a lot of times it's unstable. It's not like it's. And, you know, we struggle a lot to keep our parishes like that, to keep our parishes vibrant and alive, to keep our schools like that vibrant and alive. And it's it's very difficult because the culture around us is so against it, right? But like you, you're reminding me as you talk about these saints and how they inspire us, it's actually not a complicated thing. It's just this singular commitment to love God and neighbor every day. And that's basically it. It's the way I talk to the people I work with, I live with. It's the way I interact with them. It's the way I actually pray, and I just talk about how much I wish I would be praying, but I actually pray. That's where the the linchpin is for that kind of culture. Gotcha. It's true. Okay. Sorry for the rant, everyone. <laughs> Sorry. Forgive me. Thanks for listening today. <laughs> we're going to continue. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Healthcare that works better and costs less seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844-387-8533. That's 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks again for listening in, for putting up with our rant. <laughs> it's show 200. I mean, I get a little rant. Yeah, know? you've earned it. I mean, I don't know if I've earned it, but <laughs> I mean, I'm the only one besides you. I mean, behind, you've got the microphone. Behind the mic. So, you I mean, can say what you want. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm really, it, it, we're in an interesting time. And yeah. I'm not like an end of the world type person or like, like, I'm not even thinking that. I'm thinking like our culture is at stake. Yeah. You know, you know, it reminds me, and this is not 
I'm not like self-aggrandizing or putting myself as any example at all. I'm more talking about how I've seen the Holy Spirit act in my in my life. So it's just about two years now that I've been ordained a deacon, right? And in general, I'm a pretty positive person, I would say. You know, people say, personality tests I take say, like positivity, wanting to see the world in a positive lens is, is a consistent theme of my personality. But two years preaching homilies, I've been surprised at how, like, when I prayerfully prepare for a homily and what I want to say and, you know, what I think the Lord wants, it's consistently sober in the sense of messages of, you know, kind of kicking, kicking us all in the pants to, to get it into gear. Hmm. And I think, and I'm not saying I am successful at listening to the Holy Spirit, but I do think the Holy Spirit has been active in my heart and in my life and in that ministry in a way that was surprising to me that I didn't anticipate that God's word needs to be particularly challenging right now to mm-hmm. wake us all up from this kind of lull and sleep we all seem to be in, even those that go to daily mass and are really into this stuff, that there's certain um, commitments that we need to have that maybe we're not being challenged to make that frequently. And so that's just been a consistent theme of the homilies I've given, this 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 commitment that we are all given to become like saints, you know? Habits are hard to break, you know, and change is hard to make. Like, I know this, I know this in my own life, but it's almost like we're just like, well, I won't do that. It's too hard. So I'll just Mm -hmm. do both. Mm -hmm. I'll just have bad habits, you know, some, you know, borderline sinful behavior and live my faith, but I'm not going to like try really hard. It's too much work. Like the effort, you know, yada, yada. Um, so anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just like this book is like, it is really, really difficult to do. It is, mm-hmm. it is like, it is like, takes a lot of time and effort and it, it it's painful. And just like anything that you want or feel called to do and, and pursue it and finish it. Like when you entered in the diaconate, I was like, dude, I could never do that. I couldn't do three, four, five years of formation. My wife had to go getting sitters for family, the commitment to studying. You know, like I looked at you and and said, like, he's committed. Like he's doing the hard work for something that he feels called to down the road, right? Mm. And then you get ordained to be a deacon. And it's like, oh, this is great and fun. But then then you get to work, right? Like more work's required of you. Mm -hmm. But you know it's what you want and desire and call to, right? Yeah. But you you had to grind through it. Oh yeah. And and so it is with the, like the Christian life. Like when we want something and want to pursue something, like we got to work hard to get there. It takes a lot of effort. And I don't know. I think a lot of times, like I think this is probably why I named the book with the word grit in it, because there's this lack of grit in our culture, and people are saying, yeah, I just don't feel like doing the hard work. Yeah. Is the name finalized or still? Well, the working title is is Holy Grit. That's confidential. Nice. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> if you listen to the this podcast. idea that that holiness and grittiness cannot be separated, mm-hmm. and I think we've lived in a culture where the two are. It's like, oh, here's a gritty person who rides a horse and like shoots people. You know, mm-hmm. he's like a cowboy. You know, mm-hmm. like we were talking earlier. It's yeah. like, oh, that's a gritty guy. You know, <laughs> or someone who like overworks or like makes a lot of money or like you know plays a sport or you know whatever music. And and then there's this holy person who's like untouchable, like 
you know, kind of like whatever. They're a saint. I can't relate to them. And no, like all that's holy grit is the reality that holiness and grittiness cannot be separated. Mm. You you can't you can't be holy without being gritty. Yeah, and being gritty makes you holy. Like that's the heart of the book. Like that's it. And like, how do we do that? Like, how do we we get to that point in our life? I can't wait to read it. So anyway, I need I'm, some grit. Um, do you need some grit? So, okay. Do you have a a weird Catholic stuff? What? You don't say. That is kind of weird, Paul. I don't know if people should do that. That's gross. Why do Catholics do that? Weird. I don't know why they do it. I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. Um, so I saw this story over the weekend, literally uh, two days ago. It happened, actually, so that wasn't the weekend. That was during the week. But it happened over the weekend. And it made me just kind of see something we do all the time in a new way. And I had the thought, man, I bet non-Catholics think we're pretty weird. So here's what happened. First communion season, right? People are making their first communions. And... Um, you know, some at some parishes, when people are receiving First Communion, which is usually age seven-ish, seven, eight, they're given the option, or they're given both species, right? So the hosts and the precious blood. So what happened was, uh, in South Dakota, a town called Brandon, all right, um, a, a young Catholic was receiving her First Communion, went to get the cup of the precious blood, and just proceeded to drink all of the precious blood in the cup. What? <laughs> yes. Like, is this like a funny, like, not not funny they drink it all, but like didn't know better? Like they Correct. That was not anyone's plan except hers, apparently. And so, um, you know, the, the mother, so they wrote an article about this because the video went viral because they're videoing that moment, you know, and she just took all of the precious blood and it went viral and people weren't Catholic or, you know, they're calling it wine because they don't know any better. They don't know it's Jesus. Um, but how she chugged the whole, all of the wine, right? And then that's when it hit me. Wait a minute. It's kind of weird that we give to the world, if it, if it is just wine, that we literally give seven-year-olds alcohol weekly. <laughs> <laughs> right. It never hit me before. It never And... I mean, you probably know the specifics better than I do, but wine at mass has to be a cer- certain alcoholic content. High, It's yeah. like, what, eight, 18%? Eight, eight at least. Eight but, at least. Mm-hmm. Okay, at least 8%, yeah. Yeah, to be to be used. And so, uh, yeah, if you're outside the church and you don't understand that it's the precious blood of Christ and that's what you're receiving, I just it just hit me. I was like, wow, people look at us. We're just giving wine to children like, all the time. That's kind of weird. Do they think we're weird? Have you ever heard that? Like traveling around, like why do you Catholics give wine to children? Well, it's Jesus' blood, I guess. Right. Um. Yeah. Dude, this is so funny. I think that's something probably like I would have done. I wouldn't have been paying attention long enough, like in like first communion formation class. Mm-hmm. And I probably just would have went up and, and like just chugged and the priest would have been like, what are you doing? Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. You said to drink it. I don't know. Right, right. Well, apparently, so her, uh, the little girl's mom needs 
named Stephanie. So that was kind of consistent with her general personality. She tends to go big on things. And so she, uh, you know, they talked to her after why she did that. She said, I don't know. You told me to drink, like what you just said. Right. And she tends to the dramatic. And so she, uh, she drank all of it. She got she all of it. She didn't seem real dramatic about it. She just seemed like, sort of like, this is just what you're supposed to do. Right. Right? Right. Now, I've been there, and this is part of that weird Catholic stuff too, and maybe you've been there, but I know I've been there where if you're serving at a Mass, like back when I was preordained and everything, but you're serving at a Mass helping as an extraordinary minister, and there's lots of precious blood left over, you have to consume it, you know? Like you can't, you don't put the precious blood in a tabernacle like with the host. And so sometimes a lot is left over, and you have to consume it. I've definitely been there where I felt the effects. Because, I mean, it is Jesus, 100%, but the, but it, ac- the accidents of wine remain, which include how your body reacts to wine. So I've definitely felt like a Jesus buzz, I guess is what they call it. I've also witnessed priests who had to do the same thing feel that way. Yeah, you have to wait it out, and it's important to be virtuous in that, or spread like, hey, you drink some, I drink right. some, you drink some. Years ago, sadly, there was a bishop who did that and drove home and hit someone and, and the person died. I didn't know that. Yeah. That is very sad. And it was at night. This is really sad. It was at night and the bishop didn't know he hit anybody. Mm. Like he, you know, so it was a hit and run. It was bad. It was a bad deal. It is bad. It was a really bad deal. And he blamed it on the communion wine, and uh, which could have been. I have no idea. But that was like what the you know, the story was mm-hmm. all that being said, don't drink too much wine. And look, I can't even as a lay person, I don't know the last time I received the precious blood because of COVID. Yeah. COVID everything. definitely made that less popular, less popular. Like it, it's not even a thing. <laughs> not anymore. even a thing. <laughs> like who, what, what's a chalice? Right? Yeah. And some like, places have gone to intinction, um, which is where you dip the host mm-hmm. into the precious blood. Mm hmm. It's actually timely that we bring this up. I mean, the the gospel readings this week are all centered around the Eucharist again. We're in John 6. Right. And, um, you know, my daughter made her first communion last weekend, which was awesome. Sweet. And we used intinction. I was able to give her her first communion, which was nice. But you dip the host into the precious blood and then give on the tongue. They used to do that years ago, and then they, they did away with it. I don't know why. Maybe... There was something in the general instruction of the Roman Missal or, or the new, you know, norms for Mass. I don't know if people were abusing, you know, mm-hmm. intinction yeah. or whatever. I don't know why, you know, it stopped being, you know, allowed. I don't know if it's still allowed. I have no idea. It just takes good training for extraordinary ministers. So if you can't pull that off, like if it's if it's hard to be have a consistent training and awareness of extraordinary ministers, it can... You know, it's kind of dangerous. Things could happen to the Blessed Sacrament that you don't want to happen. So it's kind of more of just a practical, logistical yeah. thing yeah. than it is a theological thing. Yeah. Well, and theologically, I mean, I think it's important for every Catholic to know this. You, What the Eucharist is, is the entire body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So anytime you have that sacrament, that's what it is. And so the host is not just the body, and the precious blood is not just the blood. The host is the body, blood, soul, and divinity. And the precious blood is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. But we call it their different species, meaning like they're a different sign where that same sacrament of reality, which is the Eucharist, is present. I had this question at school the other day, well, a few weeks ago, months ago, but um, why don't we put the precious blood in the tabernacle? You know, like why don't we adore Jesus in the precious blood? 
And it, and the reason is is important because I think it it shows us what a sacrament is. A sacrament is a sign where behind the sign, the reality it's signifying is actually present. And so the sign of bread is a particular sign. The sign of wine is a particular sign. And what bread connotes, especially in like a bread box, let's say, like we're saving food for later, mm-hmm. it, it speaks of the manna that Jesus compared himself to in, in the Eucharist, that it's it's food for the journey. It's food for um, to nourish us as we journey to heaven. And that we eat this bread and live forever. Where... Um, you know, the wine, the main reason it's there, it's a different sign. It's a sign of death. When you separate body and blood, you die. And so the separation of the host from the from the precious blood in the consecration, we consecrate the host, then the blood, is a sign of the death of Christ. And that sign is made present. The reality is made present. The death of Christ is made present, as St. Paul says, until he comes again, in the sign of the bread and wine, mm-hmm. separate. But once Mass is over, that sign should not endure. But the sign of bread for the journey should endure, right? Like to, to adore the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and to bring host the Blessed Sacrament to those that were sick or couldn't make it. And so that sign endures past the Mass. But the only reason we have the precious blood is, is, is the Holy Mass, right? But the Eucharist in the bread or the sign of bread is its purpose endures past mass. Right. Anyway. Well, and I think in a lot of ways, like God is very practical too. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus is very practical in instituting the sacraments. I mean, water, water doesn't spoil. You know, you can use water for baptism. Yeah, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like mm-hmm. like bread, unleavened bread. Yeah, it has a lot of theological meaning in the Old Testament, certainly, but it's also very practical to look at and adore yeah. to a host. Uh, unleavened bread lasts long. It's not so. If Jesus, I guess, if he wanted, because he's God, could have consecrated fish. You know, it could have been yeah, like, oh, absolutely. fish is important. You know, let me use that. You know, but he didn't. He chose bread because gr- bread not only had all the theological, you know, applications to connect the manna from heaven, but it's also very practical. It's what people ate, what they lived on, what they noticed, and you know, now practically in the church, like we can. We can consume it, eat it, consecrate it, save it, look at it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah. like very practical. Like God's not outside of practical realm where he's like, I'm going to make this extremely complicated for you, <laughs> right? Like you're going to consecrate, you know, bed bugs. You know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, That would be complicated. It'd be very complicated, you know, <laughs> like only a certain type of fish, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, well, we don't have fish in this region, you know, like right. we live in Antarctica, you know, we we can't dig through the ice, whatever. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, if we had to bring precious blood to everyone outside of Mass to bring communion, that would be very difficult. Right. We would have all these little cups. We'd have to have trays, I guess. I mean, think about like, yeah, just practically like mm. like the mess and, and you know, yeah, so it, you know, like and a lot of times practically in the early church, like they didn't even distribute wine. Like they had it at mass, right. but like maybe the priest and deacon were the only ones that consumed it. I mean, that was kind of more made like to give to the lay people as it was kind of more readily available, you know, but it's not necessary. No, because a crumb of the host is the entire body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Right. So you receive the blood of Christ in the host. So it's not necessary to receive it again in a different species, but it is a fuller sign, if you will. And I think that was a motivation after the council was that the laity would be given the same access to the the fullness of that sign. 
So, for example, the priest doesn't receive both species, the Mass isn't valid. Because the Mass as a sacrifice, the death of the Lord has to be offered and received. Mm -hmm. And that sign of that offering and receiving is the host and the wine. And so the priest has to consecrate, offer bread and wine that become the body and blood of Christ and consume the victim in both species. But that's it. No other participant in the Mass has to for it to be valid. You know, even the deacon, we do, but like in COVID, we didn't. Um, I mean, sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. But it's not totally necessary to the Mass, but it is necessary to that priest who's offering that Mass to consume the victim that he's offering. And um, this is theologically heavy, but I think the point being, you know, we are talking earlier about culture and about commitment it's hard to get around this commitment to the Eucharist if you really want to be a saint. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk all day about being kind to people, and we could talk about being patient and loving, and we should. But to see it in its mm -hmm. purest form is to be with Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. To see who the Christian is, or who we're supposed to be, is to see Christ as he teaches us in the school of the Eucharist, mm -hmm. where he's patient, where he's merciful, where he's humble, where he's quiet, where he's faithful, where he's waiting for those who he loves to come to them, and he's not violent about it, he's not a jerk about it, where he comes in the most gentle, humble, amazing way, yet a lot of people don't accept him, don't believe in him, don't appreciate him. Even Catholics don't pray to him, don't acknowledge his presence, yet he still shows up every day, every day, every day. And this school of the Eucharist is a fundamental commitment to everybody who could even think about being a saint because the Lord is present in the Eucharist. Yeah. You know, every, every saint, at least I've read about, studied, encountered, wrote about, and continue to all like consistently were very obviously different, different personalities, different upbringing, you know, different wounds and brokenness, all of them like very unique, right? Cause they're, we're all unique, but the consistency thread with all of them is that they all had a deep devotion to the sacraments. Mm -hmm. There wasn't one that didn't. Right. You know, there were there was all a deep devotion to the Eucharist. Would you say it was a gritty devotion? Yeah, because, you know, the spiritual life requires grit. There are going to be good days and bad days, mm -hmm. a lot of bad days, a lot of tough days, a lot of dark times, a lot of doubt, a lot of fear, worry, right? And And what brings focus? The sacraments, the Eucharist, right? Like it's the thing that like is the presence of God in our world. So it, it is it is the thing that draws us back to Jesus. Yes, of course, prayer and and all all those elements. But but you're right. Like like a sign of a of a person pursuing Christ is someone who is 100 percent committed to the sacramental life and relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. Something I got to get better at more than just Sundays, right? Like adoration, some daily mass, like really just saying like, Lord, like you're everything and I need to be with you more. Yeah. Same here. You, you know, I mean, yeah. you're, you're, I wouldn't say lucky, like you're a little bit different now as a deacon, like you get to be uniquely uh, with him differently in the liturgy, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and maybe times where like you're forced to be at mass because it's like your, your service Right. But that force is like, yeah, what a privilege, right? Like, you know, whereas 
as a layperson, like I gotta, I gotta be really intentional about going to a daily mass or you know making an effort. Yeah, so that takes grit. It all takes grit. And I think the sacraments are gritty. I mean, I think of the amount of times that Jesus has to make himself present in very gritty situations. Think about like um, those military chaplains celebrating mass on the battlefield, literally. Like Jesus coming to earth in the Holy Eucharist at Holy Mass while bullets and bombs are flying and people are dying. And I mean, our Lord in the sacraments goes the extra mile all the time in, in gritty ways. Mm-hmm. Think about um, the confessions that have been heard in the very gritty circumstances of, you know, people dying on the street or something and hearing a last second confession or, I mean, the Lord gets gritty with us in the sacraments in probably the, that is the most gritty way he meets us day in, day out. And, you know, for us, uh, it takes a lot of grit to be committed for sure. Um, but, you know, the church talks about mystagogy. Mystagogy is coming to understand the reality that the sacraments are more and more and more. And for a lot of people, they think, you know, one of our issues in the church, one of our issues uh, as Catholics today in America is that we don't have enough mystagogy. Like, we don't really get what's happening in the sacraments in a gritty way, like to borrow that word. Mm-hmm. Like, we may get it in an idea way or like a lofty way, but to have a real grit with the mystery, to have a connection to it, to actually see the reality behind the sign, mm-hmm. that's mystagogy. And that has to happen for us to be saints, you know, even... Very simple saints saw the reality in a gritty way behind what they were doing. I think of, um, you know, blessed, I think she's saint now, but Imelda, uh, I can't remember her last name, but Imelda, that's how I think of her. But she was this little Dominican uh, sister, like 12 years old, died at her first communion. You know that story? No. No, I don't. Well, she <clears throat> she was begging to go into religious life. She goes as like a 12-year-old into, with these Dominicans, they take her. And she hadn't made her first communion yet. Because back then it was, you know, not at seven or eight. And so she's begging the Mother Superior, can I make my first communion, make my first communion? And the priest who serves that community says, not yet, not yet, you know, because you have to be 14. Well, anyway, one day they're at Holy Mass, and uh, she didn't get to go to communion. She hoped she would. Hmm. And she was praying after Mass, and a sister comes in, and the tabernacle is open and glowing, and the host from the tabernacle has levitated over Imelda and was just hovering over her. And so the sister goes grab the priest because it was pretty soon after Mass said, Father, Father, come see. And Father walks in and there's the host just levitating over little Imelda who's praying. Wow. And so he says, okay, well, I guess the Lord wants to give her First Communion. Takes that levitating host, gives it to her. She has a moment of thanksgiving and then dies. That's nuts dies of happiness and she said out loud to her sisters this is a true story this is a true story she said out loud to her sisters before if i could receive communion how does how do people not die of happiness she said that Mm. and she died of happiness that is what i'm talking about see she saw behind beyond the sign to the reality in such a gritty way Mm. such an earthy way that she was able to connect so much that it literally she died of happiness that convicts me a lot 12-year-old yeah, girl. Definitely convicted of that. Okay, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Paying too much for health care and supporting services you don't believe in? 
Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of healthcare. Join the nation's leading healthcare sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith, saving money through ethical and affordable healthcare. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare, 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for tuning in. Deacon Adam Cock, Paul George, show 200. We really didn't do anything to celebrate on this show. Like... (laughs) You didn't bring anything. You didn't bring anything um, like champagne. Uh, I have some hand sanitizer. Chimay. Would you uh, like some? Uh, nothing. I guess we're... Why don't we go to lunch after? That sounds good. I have a good Mexican spot, Cinco de Mayo. That's right. I mean... <laughs> 200. It's a big deal. 200. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why don't we eat 200 tacos today in celebration? Can they be very small tacos? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How about... In honor of show 200, we'll go back to one of our original segments, which is a six-pack of questions. Question. Question number one. So this is episode 200. Okay. There have been a lot of conversations. Yeah, I can't even remember. Tons. Yeah. All right. My question is, can you tell me the... Maybe not the episode, but the theme or the topic that you've gotten the most feedback about that we've discussed that was actually helpful to people? Because sometimes we talk and it's just not helpful at all. Sometimes it's actually helpful. Do you have anything that kind of comes to mind as far as people saying, oh, I heard that show, I heard that discussion, and that was really nice. Thank you. It's been one of the sore sore spots of the show is that we don't get much feedback, Mm. you know, (laughs) other than people like, hey, I listened to the show. It was good, you know, right, or whatever. Uh, But... Yeah, I, you know, our content is so deep half the time that uh, people are probably levitating from it. <laughs> I haven't gotten that response. You haven't gotten that response. Not yet. But I guess you might have heard that. Um, I think a lot, a lot of the feedback I get is like a lot of times when we talk about relationships, vocation, marriages, like struggles mm-hmm. in people's lives, because I think people can relate to those things, you know, and and that's some of the feedback. And then when we tie in like the saints and teaching and theology or whatever, you know, we kind of, you know, our shows aren't like one topic and we just go, it, we kind of all, we kind of have a, a thread throughout a show, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yeah. If so, you could follow it, it's if fun. You could follow it. <laughs> it's good. I mean, like this show, we talk about sacraments, the Eucharist, saints, grittiness, mm-hmm. Cinco de Mayo. All over the place. Uh, weird Catholic stuff. Yeah. Consuming the precious blood. Yeah. A little too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. So like vocational stuff, life stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates with me. I I remember that we did an episode on men's ministry that I got a ton of. Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah. I forgot about that. I got a ton of like, oh, wow. I heard that. That was great. So. Well, we'll do it again. Yeah. That was probably around episode 50. So it's probably time to bring that back. Yeah. And shout out to Chad Bayrow, who's part of the stint. Uh, Mm. Casey Mm Trahan, who was part of the stint. Oh, yeah. Um, He was there at the Genesis. Yeah. Yeah, Uncle Chad was a good year. And then Father Bryce Sibley, Paul 
Padre and Paul show that started it. That was the prequel. Of this. That was the, yeah. So yeah. shout out to everybody. Shout out. All right. Question number two. Um, so we started with uh, a have you seen that you brought up about um, the uh, Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo and the um, amount of alcohol mm-hmm. consumed. So my question to you, which would, got me on a rant, which got you on a rant. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, so my question to you is, you know, that part of that world, you're talking about this like kind of overworldliness of some Catholics, maybe, I don't know. I think about this because moderation is one thing, but then commitment to Christ that's obvious is another thing. So when it comes to alcohol, for example, Catholics are notorious for being okay with drinking, whereas non-Catholic Christians a lot of times will have a strong commitment, I'm not drinking. Some. It's very inconsistent, but yes, yeah, some. Some. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on that, this difference? Like, yes, moderation is important, but is there a certain Christian witness when it comes to things like alcohol and others where abstinence is also part of that equation? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and when people use the, the phrase, like, moderation and everything, you're like, well, so moderation and pornography? No, Mm -hmm. like not moderation and everything. Like some things, nothing, Mm -hmm. right? Some things avoid all the way. So that's silly. Stop saying that. Like that's not a good saying. Moderation in some things, right, is what the way I would put it, particularly with alcohol, because, you know, I'm convicted. Like we, we need our full faculties to make good decisions, hands down. And to be cognizant and to love others and to, to not sin and whatever. So so alcohol to enjoy as something to, to enjoy life and to celebrate, but to get drunk or to overconsume would push us into the non-reality of making decisions or doing things that, that um, you know, is not consistent with, you know, our faith life. Yeah. Plain and simple. There you go. You know. Some Christians would say we avoid it altogether, like, because avoid the near occasion to sin. You know, we have no moderation. We can't do it. We shouldn't do it. But I think Catholics actually can transform the culture by teaching people how to, how to do things with, with moderation and not over consumption. But uh, mm. we don't do that well here in Louisiana, at least. Yeah, it's not a consistent witness. It's not. All right, question number three. So you talked about... Uh, confidentially this idea of holy grit and that you've been you've just finished a transcript on a book about keep that confidential yeah, on the show all of our anybody. listeners together nobody steals the name of my book <laughs> you're under the podcast seal um and that is a, a fascinating idea i'm sure in your writing and reflecting you've thought about not only the saints and their witness but the people you've actually known mm-hmm. and met that have displayed what you're reading about or writing about about these saints mm-hmm. so can you share with me Somebody who comes to mind as a, a witness of that gritty holiness to you hmm. that you've had in your life? Yeah, you know, I kind of merge in, obviously, the stories of, of particular saints for each chapter and basically people and things that I've encountered who've displayed that same grit as well in that holiness. And, I, and then I talk about examples of men, including myself, who display grit but no holiness in certain situations. And I think that's mm-hmm. where we fail, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll grit at this at work or at da, 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 da. But the holiness is left to the side, and that's when we end up kind of, you know, going off the reservation, you know. That's an important insight. Yeah, so there's been, there have been people in my life who I've encountered who have displayed 
the combination of both. And, and, and then you read the saints and there's something very consistent about their pursuit of God and the fact that they have this grittiness that, that moves them forward in their relationship with God. They, they get through life without just falling apart, giving up, you know, and you know, I, a lot of times in the spiritual life, people are like, yeah, it's too hard. I just give up. I'm just not doing that. You know, and that, you know, like that's not what God wants for us. Man, I love that insight. Yeah. It's kind of the story of all Catholic men is like where we find it easy to be holy. We lack grit. So like, okay, I'll go to mass on Sundays, but not in a gritty way. And then when we finally find it easy to be gritty, we don't seek to become holy. Like right. we just go to our duck blind or whatever yeah. and just. I, and I call it, and that's what's ingrained in every man is, is grit, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're created that way. And I call it in the book is grit without God. Like there, there's good things. Good. There are good things about being gritty. I get up and I go to work and I do these things and I yada yada and I'm gritty. I'm gritty, but grit without God eventually, you know, derails us. It just does 100 percent of the time. Man, that's good stuff. All right, question number five. So we talked about uh, the sacraments and we're kind of focus on the Eucharist, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on confession and reconciliation as a gritty sacrament and like mm-hmm. commitment to that because yeah. I find that's actually, I don't know, it seems to be going not down. I just, I'm meeting more and more serious Catholics that'll tell me they go months without confession or close to a year without confession. And I'm a little confused by this. Um, so it, anyway, can it's you, almost can you like we don't have a holy in between. It's like we have people who over consume oh, the sacrament. Consume confession. Yeah sacrament of reconciliation and then we have people who just like i'm not doing it i'm not going you know yeah but you know i think the grittiest of folks realize that they need jesus and reconciliation right like like that's what you know our grit gets us in trouble sometimes and that's reconciliation is the place that we just we just crawl into i just imagine like being in a foxhole in in a battle like like that's you know we just come out of that from being in war, spiritual war and battle, imperfect, taking bullets, and we go into the confessional. And that's where the divine physician sews us up, fixes us up. So to think that we're going to be perfect going in there, like that's silly. Like it's there because God sends us into the battlefield and we get wounded. Love it. All right, question number six. Um, Can you give us maybe a top do and top don't when it comes to... um, increasing our devotion to the Eucharist? Like, what can we start doing? What can we stop doing to kind of increase our relationship with Jesus? You know, like stories that you talked about, this little saint girl, like that inspires me. Maybe we can read more stories about saints who had a deep devotion to the Eucharist and why and what Mm -hmm. it did for them. And we see the life change in them because of the Eucharist. We're like, oh, so that can happen to me. Here's one thing about the saints is they were real people. They And they were imperfect. You know, and one of the things I try to do in the book is like make these saints feel real to us. Like here was a real guy who who lived his life and like eventually like you know moved from being gritty to holy and combining those two. You know, none of the saints I wrote about in this book were perfect, or and they all had a past life, right, where there was like inconsistency and they had a transformation, a conversion. That, for the most part, was very consistent with the sacraments and the Eucharist. Mm. Sweet. Well, happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy 200th episode. Chips and salsa. That's what I'm thinking about. 200, Paul. Chips and salsa. 
we uh, we've outlasted so many American institutions. So yeah. thanks for the four or five years, whatever. I mean, it took we get to show like three hundred. We'll surpass like the years that America has been alive. Yeah, more episodes than years of the country. That's you know? true. I mean, so it's pretty good. Must mean something. Yeehaw. Well, thanks for you and and all this commitment because it's podcast is a weird animal because you're you're not like with a ton of people that are listening. You're just in a room talking to a microphone. I feel very connected to the people who listen, though. Yeah. You know, it is neat. so it's good. I mean, we've just been consistent at it, and hopefully, it just helps people like us just stay the course. Like, it's not easy, it's hard, right. but we're all in this together. We don't have all the answers, and we're just trying to live the life that God calls us to. So, thanks everyone for being a part of the show. Feel free to share it um, with others iTunes, Google Play, um, Spotify, and thanks to everyone. KLFT here, Anna Katie Anna, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.